0: This episode is sponsored by McCaffrey Crafts, specialising in authentic walking sticks and shilles handcrafted in County Kerry from Blackthorn that grows out of Irish soil. Find them online at McCaffreyCrafts.com. That's M-C-C-A-F-F-O-E-Y-C-O-A-F-T-S dot com. McCaffreyCrafts.com, McCaffreycrafts.com.
1: Dave asfalture to this special selling edition of the Irish Mythology Podcast. This week we'll be considering why you might be alarmed if you see a young girl dressed in red walking down the road crying and combing her hair. I'm Marcus (laughs) O'Hishkin.
0: And it's not just young ones. You might also want to be alarmed if you see an old lady dressed in white sitting on the windowsill of a house. I'm Stephanie Hearney. So this is our Samhain special where we're going to talk about the Banshee. Last year, we did an entire episode on Samhain in general as it relates to Irish customs, mythology and folklore and the contemporary interpretation of Halloween. And if you want to listen to that, you can hear it on the usual podcast channels.
1: Yeah, so the, the Banshee, along with the Leprechaun, is probably one of the better known figures of Irish mythology and folklore. But this week, we're hoping to broaden your knowledge and tell you about how there's a bit more to her than being a grey haired figure shrieking and telling you that somebody close to you is going to die.
0: Yeah, she doesn't only appear in Irish tales, though. You'll also find her in stories uh, where Irish people emigrated to and brought their own folk traditions with them.
1: So you probably know a little bit about her. She's a mystical supernatural otherworld figure who is a harbinger of death um, that is traditionally said to have followed particular families and made her presence known either when someone was about to die or shortly after they had passed by by shrieking or wailing or, or crying loudly.
0: So the name Banshee comes from the Irish term ban she. so that's ban as in the Irish for woman, b-e-a-n, and she, S.I. Father, which you may recognise as being the word for fairy. So she's a woman of the fairy mound. She's also sometimes termed the Ban Queenche, uh, the Keening Lady, but she is not to be confused with real human women who performed the traditional act of Keening during Irish wakes and funerals. And we'll go into that a bit more later. Uh, she's also known in parts of the southeast of Ireland as the Bave or the Bow. Uh, sharing her name with a war goddess figure, but the anglicised term banshee is what we see more commonly today. Bave was the announcer of death in battle, and there are variations of how that is pronounced. Um, so Bo, as I mentioned, but she's also termed as the queenche or the Bive. And in Waterford, there's actually a holy well known as Tuberna Bive, which indicates that this is an incredibly old tradition in Ireland, so and the Banshee sort of plays a dual role. She's as much an announcer of death as she is a lamenter of death. When I was doing the research for this episode, we looked very closely at research done by Patricia Lysat, a professor of folklore in UCD. And she's probably the most widely published expert on the Banshee in Irish folklore. And we'll link to some of her research in the show notes so she started this work in the 1970s through the National Folklore Commission and collected a huge amount of folk stories where she mapped the appearance of the Banshee across Ireland. Now Lysat notes how the Bay figure and that linguistic term is cognate with other Indo-European names such as uh, a Gaulish uh, bedua and the Old English bedu. And so these are like ancient ideas that were maintained right into the 20th century to today.
1: It's important to remember that the banshee in Irish folklore is not just one individual figure. There are many banshee or banshees, um, some of whom are attached to specific places or specific families, and some who were given individual names. So you have Avel, is it Avel? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you have Avel, the banshee of the O'Briens residing in County Clare. You have Kleana, the banshee of the McCarthy's living in Caraclina, near Fermoy in County Cork, and Anya, the Banshee of the Fitzgeralds, um who inhabits the hill of Kildacke in County Limerick. Although I'd say I, I, I would imagine that the Fitzgeralds are telling tell fibs there, but sure isn't that a Norman name? <laughs>
0: Maybe. blow-ins. Yeah. Well Avel is also given as a local divinity uh, in East Clare and North Tip and according to a 12th century account of the Battle of Clontarf was said to have appeared before Brian Boru the night before the battle and foretold that he would be killed in conflict the following day and that one of his sons would gain the kingship after his
1: death. There's a crossover here between the role of the foreboder of death and goddess. We'll go into that later on in the episode. One of the reasons that it's hard to trace the origins of the Banshee is that it seems that within folk tradition, her existence is largely just taken for granted, you know, and she's always been around. In some some of the stories examined by Patricia Lysa, um, one account states that a woman who was a professional keener during her life could become a Banshee after death.
0: So keeners were also referred to as criers. And these were a class of women who were employed to cry at wakes and funerals around Ireland. And I'll just play. I have a short clip of keening that I I have included here. I'm looking at Mark because I meant to check the copyright. (laughs) So we will either include this clip or there'll be a clip in the show notes. But anyway, uh, keening was an act performed by women. And and it was only women who did this, so I mean, it was a lot of kind of being around the coffin and wailing and lamenting the the death of the person who had passed. And of course, many would keen for their own families. And while some of this might just sound like wailing, caterwauling to the untrained ear, within that they would often be singing the stories of the life of the individual who had died, or or the life of their family, and lament their untimely demise and so on.
1: Um you you wouldn't give the you wouldn't give it a go there yourself, no, the Keenan?
0: A bit of Keenan. Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) For the listeners at home, I'm drinking an espresso martini, and if I had more, maybe I'd give it a bash. But (laughs) Barkey, go on.
1: Anyway, you give it a go. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't I can't do that octave. Yeah. (laughs) So. Anyway, some some people actually believe that women who. Uh, keen in life could become banshees in death and some of those who did the keening had a real fear that this would be the case when they passed away funny do you know what that's just reminded me of you yeah, being the thing in life in death that you are in life reminded me of your one in crane a killer do you know the old oh, gossip yeah.
0: yeah what a film yeah of roasts,
1: yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's, one it's,
0: woman roasting a whole community.
1: If, if you if you haven't read a
0: film, a book. Well, do, yeah,
1: but the the film. the film is the film is great though. So if you haven't actually um, gotten around to reading the book and you want, I'd say check out the film. You can get it on DVD in shops where they sell stuff on yeah. scale. Yeah, where they still
0: sell DVDs? Where they still
1: sell DVDs? Yeah. Yeah. If you
0: still have a DVD player, you probably you get,
1: get it. You probably get it in, in Gal culture in Dublin or somewhere like that. No,
0: we'll find where it's available mm. online and put it and put it up. kill is a fantastic book.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure
0: we've probably talked about it on the um, I don't think
1: on we, I don't think we have
0: oh well think we well, might have. Oh, well means graveyard clay and it's a book, a novel by Martin O'Kine and I suppose it's in Irish language circles it's considered to be one of the greatest works or certainly one of the greatest novels in Irish literature and there's a couple of translations one is in, in quite kind of very hiberno-English and then there's a more contemporary translation where the insults are not as Hibernicized I suppose for one a yeah. better I think there's more there's more straight-up swearing in it but I suppose it depends on what you kind of like but anyway look the film is fantastic and essentially the plot is that this woman dies the the plot it follows this woman as the rest of her community or like other people in the community die and she's and she's getting news from the living world but basically she just roasts everyone there's some <laughs> iconic lines in there like there's some there's some really fantastic insults
1: yeah and in, in that very Irish way that there's there's no swearing but it's it's it cuts worse it cuts it cuts <laughs> yeah. sharper it's a sharper cut than
0: it is yeah definitely yeah. tongue so sharp she'd nearly cut herself but anyway. Um, so, where was he? We? You were talking about Keenan, and I think you might have just been about to tell our listeners what the Irish term for crying is.
1: Oh, yeah. A quinu um, is crying. Ní mae quinu a rare. Good.
0: <laughs> I'm glad.
1: Um, um, but in other accounts, it was believed that only keeners who did not carry out their task in the proper manner would become banshees in their death as a type of penance. Um, in contemporary times, people would probably find it quite hard to imagine, given the sort of very theatrical performance aspect of keening, especially as it would be done for professionally for people the Wailing women had no connection to. But It was quite embedded in normal Irish life. It's actually one very interesting story that sort of begrudgingly speaks about about having to keen at a funeral, even if it was a nice day.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of chat about people having to go and miss the nice weather on account of someone else Mm. having died. But it was considered to be a terrible bad luck if you were asked to keen a funeral and then refused it. Because it was nice, <laughs> you know that sort it of thing.
1: Wasn't also supposed to be um, like it was supposed to be good if if it rains
0: during like, your funeral.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a good omen for that's what like, happens after. For
0: sure, is that's like when people tell you to do the lotto if the bird shits on you, like it's good luck. Do you know? It's,
1: yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> well. Who knows?
0: Who knows, yeah, I suppose. It, t- it takes
1: it takes the edge off having a bird shit on you, like.
0: The hope of winning yeah. the lotto, yeah, I suppose. I was just
1: thinking of Alanis Morissette there as well. She's,
0: Did she sing about that?
1: No, but she sang about rain on your <laughs> wedding day as opposed to your funeral day, you know.
0: Like, isn't it ironic yeah. when a seagull shits on you and you don't win the lotto? Like, like Jesus, don't remember that version. That must be a B-side. Anyway, back to the Banshee. Other stories state that the origin of the Banshee was that she was a child who died without being baptised or that she was a woman who was damned um, or a relative of the person who she was foretelling the death of. Now, we just mentioned how occasionally she is referred to as the bow or the bave and in some modern sources she is said to appear as a bird. But this is more likely a kind of contemporary invention and a result of the bow or bave being an old word for scald crow.
1: And if you don't know what a scald crow is, they're also called a hooded crow. And there are ones you see around. They're kind of grey and black and it looks like they're wearing a hood. Also, occasionally there are are stories recorded about a bird called the banshee crying around a house at night when a person is about to die. And it's probably actually useful to note that there is an old folk belief in Ireland that if a bird comes into your house, that it's a sign that someone in your family... Is going to die, or um, sort of an association of birds with death. In my family, it was just if a bird came into the house, it was bad luck. Maybe it was like
0: maybe that's a maze thing. Yeah, I know in lies it's def it was definitely considered. I won't. I won't. I'll go into <laughs> off off my but. Like, oh yeah. I know some. Yeah, where did, a bird came into the house and
1: did, did, did you ever have a bird in the house? I tell you, it's all it is bad luck. Like cause things shit's everywhere.
0: I thought you were going to say, I thought there was going to be a pun there about being in the hand and two in the bush. but
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, No. I
0: haven't. I haven't.
1: But generally speaking, the banshee is more often heard um, crying in the night than seen either as a human or a bird. But where she has been seen, there are many descriptions of her size, clothing, colour of hair and behaviour. And there's a huge amount of variety in them.
0: In one story from County Clare, it's quoted. The old people say that the banshee is always heard after the O'Briens. One night about 20 years ago, two men were coming home from a dance. It was late in the night. The men's names were Patrick McMahon and Patrick Organ. When they were coming up Balla Hill near O'Brien's gate, they heard the woman coming down the hill against them. She was crying very bitterly. They stood on the road, waiting for her to come nearer. McMahon said he saw her right plainly, and he said she wore white clothes and had a pair of wings. She did not come any nearer to them, and when they went to where they thought she was, there was no trace of her there. After a while, they heard her crying at the back of Shannon's Mountain, and when they went there, she was below at Peter Callagher's cross. The two men were frightened but after a while they plucked up courage and started for home, each of them thinking that something must be wrong at home. Nothing was wrong at home, but the next morning they heard that one of the O'Briens was dead. They heard also that she died the very same time the Banshee was heard. The O'Brien said that they saw a woman with white clothes sitting on top of the bush outside the kitchen window, crying all the time before the woman died, and after the woman was anointed, the banshee was heard no more.
1: The banshee is heard often in this district. It cried for the mulligans of Row, Delvin. Before Mrs Mulligan died, the banshee was seen by Bob Smith, James Gilmore and Joe Flynn, all of Row. The men ran after her and she disappeared and they could not know where she was. When they went home, she began to cry again. She was a little woman about the size of a doll with long red hair, a lovely red dress down to her toes, a red cape on her shoulders and a handkerchief in her hand and she was rubbing her eyes every minute. The little woman could be heard in all the houses of Milrow. Mrs Gilmore said that you would think she was in the house and that the cry was dancing on the walls. Jeez, that's a lovely uh, that last line great line isn't it
0: dancing on the walls the
1: cry is dancing on yeah
0: dearly, I often think I've been living next door to banshees <laughs> considering some of the racket made by people <laughs> as I've lived next to but anyway uh, the theme of the banshee being connected to war goddesses or other figures is noted by Lysat to have been crystallised in the figure of Fidelm who we will talk about in a future episode Fidelm appears very briefly in Anton But Lysat contends that she embodies both banshee and goddess qualities and notes the connections between the sovereignty of land being perceived as a woman who espoused the rightful king and a conferral of entitlement to land and the death messenger within families. So whether the banshee should truly be considered a goddess figure or not is open to question. Uh, But despite many believing that the banshee figure is essentially the ghost of a human woman, she does take on a sort of immortal quality.
1: She's sometimes said to be depicted as washing cloth. In Claire, she's said to have been washing death clothes or shroud, and this links her to the babe figure as she is a foreteller of death for the family that she follows. Uh, in the town Bocoonia, Cú sees a woman washing clothes on his way to his final battle and then when he looks back she is gone she's actually washing blood isn't she off his clothes and that yeah. and that, that, that's the Morrigan like it's not it is the Morrigan like, <laughs> I knew you were going to say it, but, but it is like it's explicitly the Morrigan like you know it's it's in the like culturally people would have known that was the Morrigan in the same way as people knew that when Senator Palpatine turned up in Jesus. The Phantom Menace well, they t- knew it was the same fellow. I there'd one episode they, they have... knew it was Emperor Palpatine <laughs> do you know yeah but he didn't, like, he, his name was never given in... Anyway.
0: Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right, it was the Morrigan. Yeah. It was the Morrigan. I mean, you know, they, and, but this is where it kind of gets a bit interesting slash murky, because, I mean, the bow, ba- the bow, ba- the bave really is the Morrigan. But, the it, like, no one in the southeast ever referred to the Banshee figure as the Morrigan. They would always say the Bave. Yeah. But... In Antoine, okay, Grant, yeah, it's the Morrigan, but, like, she does have that sort of foreteller of death yeah.
1: aspect, is the yeah, point. Yeah, and the Washer woman is also sometimes known as the ban knee
0: Well, funnily enough, Marcus O'Hishkin, I was about to come to that. Oh, were you? Give me <laughs> two shakes of a rat's whisker to get to it. <laughs> uh, I was going to talk about death messenger figures and how they sometimes have a connection to water. Uh, Because the Banshee commonly appears at rivers, wells and lakes, employing a supernatural origin, as these would have often been seen as sort of portals to the other world in medieval Irish literature. Generally speaking, uh, her connection with washing appears to be much stronger in the areas where she is referred to as the babe because of that water connection. And... As we also mentioned, the morgan is associated with washing activities. And then I was going to come to the point about how uh, there is a supernatural washerwoman in Scottish mythology known as the Ban nee. Uh And knee, actually we should note, is connected to the Irish or Gaelic word for washing.
1: Yeah, and funnily, funnily enough, I have read somewhere or somewhere or other that if you're going to be doing some, um, you know, communing with the dead, and I don't even think this, this was an Irish source, it was one of those, like, Occulty books that I read sometimes. That um, good places in a cave near a graveyard by a river. So it's another water thing. If you're if you're going if you're out, you're
0: going to commune with the dead. Yeah,
1: if you're going to go out and have a chat with the with the ancestors, call forth the spirits on Halloween night. Sure. I do go.
0: about ten loads of wash in a week, so I <laughs> I just commune with them at the mo- the washing machine. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> Doc Cotton, the most famous of all the banshees. <laughs> anyway, tell me about the Battle of Ockram.
1: Okay, so there was one story recounted by um, Professor Lysat in her research, referring to the Battle of Ockram in sixteen ninety one of the Williamite campaign in Ireland. And a version of this tale was collected from a storyteller in the 1930s in Galway, where it was said, the Earl of Turlin Castle near Galway City and his servant approached the battlefield of Ockram and saw a loud lamenting woman in a bog hole. And there was actually a large stretch of bog separating the opposite armies. And when the servant asked her why she was crying, she foretold of the violent death and battle that both Burke and the servant would face. Yeah, so it actually sounds more similar to the Banani figure rather than the Banshee, but the Banani, known as the Washer at the Ford, appears in Irish-Scottish and occasionally Breton mythology, and she appears like the Banshee, either beautiful and weeping or sort of a decrepit old hag. Washing bloodied garments at a river, which she will say belongs to the person who happens upon her. So it's the blood of your future blood that is going to spill when you die.
0: But to come back to the depiction of the Banshee as a goddess that was connected with land as well as being a death messenger... It is clear that her association with particular families and areas suggests that she was sort of a mechanism of culturally legitimising sovereignty in some areas. There are some aspects that cross over here with the Kaliach or the Hag figure, you know, sort of witch figure in folklore and Irish mythology, which we don't have time to go into today, but we will eventually do an entirely separate episode on them. Now, over the years, the National Folklore Commission, collected many stories about Banshee and she is described variously in them as being dressed in a white cloak with red shoes and long white hair that she combed using a red comb in County Meath. Um, in Leitrim, she was said to have appeared as a small old woman with a beautiful face, long golden hair and a little plaid shawl around her shoulders or a very small woman all dressed in red.
1: Have you mentioned the, um, don't don't pick up the comb thing?
0: No, I did not.
1: Because yeah. um, when you when, when I was a kid like, and you'd, go, you'd be walking down the street and there'd be a comb on the ground and you'd be told not to pick it up because that was the Banshee's comb. Yeah, the other, who was going around dropping combs on the ground? It must have been the Banshee.
0: It must have been. It, yeah, but also, I mean, I also think in a lot of these folk tales, there's always a, you know, there's a purpose to them. I mean, you know, when they say the puka licks the blackberries on Ehehauna, so don't eat them afterwards, it's because, you know, they're not good for you <laughs> after Halloween in Ireland. But also, if you see a comb, do you know, you don't know who whose hair M-
1: M- 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 that's
0: been put through. You'd be lucky if that was all you walked away with, <laughs> like, you know? Things that haven't even been... I don't know. Knits and maybe something that was... Only ever, only ever spoken about in interviews (laughs) with the National Folklore (laughs) Commission. Who knows, you
1: know? The Banshee wasn't just believed to be hanging around, combing her hair and wailing, though. There are other tales where she's said to have been accompanied by sounds and lights and tappings and knocks on the walls. These tapping and knocking sounds were regarded as omens of impending death. In one account, she's said to have appeared in a village where two people had died around the same time. She, she has a light in her hand and is seen along the road of the dead person's house while crying and making a great noise at the door. And then everybody would put their backs to the door until she had gone away.
0: And her being decked in white would sometime, sometimes indicate that her connection uh, is with the ghost world. And she would often appear barefoot in some stories, as well as bareheaded, even though she might actually wear a cloak. And the reason for that is because in many parts of Ireland, especially in the south of Ireland, she is seen as combing her hair, as opposed to tearing her hair out, which the living, keening women might do as a sign of grief. Um, but you, And you don't actually find that comb aspect appearing in all stories in, in all parts of Ireland. The Banshee generally appears alone they don't meet up uh or congregate um they stay with with one family generally and because she stays with a family, she is generally seen as an older woman
1: but what does she sound like well There are different descriptions of her wailing and crying and her voice is... (laughs) Sorry,
0: what does she sound like? I immediately thought of my younger sister when she was a baby. Instantly was like, exactly. Uh. (laughs) The changeling. Yeah. What am I talking about? (laughs) She was a changeling and they gave her back. (laughs) She doesn't listen to this. Anyway, go on. What does a bans- Tell me, what, what does a banshee sound like?
1: Well, her voice is sometimes described as a piercing cry, or a hoarse scream, or a mournful, dismal, wailing cry, or occasionally compared to the hooting of an owl, or like mating cats. And I think in that case, it probably was just mating cats. Although um, that is a terrifying sound. It is.
0: <laughs> it's not pleasant to I, hear.
1: When I was a child, actually, I'd forgotten about this, I heard that. And I was convinced it was the Banshee because I've heard so many stories like, do you know?
0: Do you know, it's funny that you say that because I, in this house, <laughs> you probably know the story I'm going to tell now. For, so when I moved here into this house, every so often I'd be at the back of the house at night and I would think to myself... I could hear in the distance, you know, this, ooh, ooh, you know, the, that's my impression of an owl. <laughs> it's not very good. Anyway, I could hear this this hooting in the distance. And I thought I was going mad in the head. I was losing my mind. I was like, where? I mean, this is the middle of the town. Where are there owls? I just, and I couldn't fathom it. And this went on for a very long time. And I thought I was slowly losing what little mind I had left. And then... I think maybe I couldn't say it was like four years after I was living here. I was in a street around the corner. I was there one day and I was chatting away to someone and she said to me, oh, do you know such and such who lives across the road there? And I said, oh, no, I don't. And she said, oh, yeah, he runs the owl sanctuary at the back of the house. (laughs) And it turned out that he had he had he has some operation there rescuing owls that were given to children who were Harry Potter fans by idiot parents uh, and then they couldn't look after them so he had so I wasn't imagining it anyway but I suppose if you were in a place and there was the unexpected sound of an owl and you had no uh, knowledge of the local owl sanctuary that was that seemed to be going on sure I suppose maybe you would put it down to a banshee Um, So depending on where she is located, she is reported to have a different cry. Sometimes it's lonesome or human sounding, quite lamenting. But where she's in the southeast as the babe, she is said to be more loud and screeching and quite aggressive, which could be connected to the original idea of her as a war type figure. But one description that caught my eye while researching this episode was where a person said that they had heard the banshee a number of times and said, I heard it the third and last time a couple of months ago. We were sitting in the same place, but twas later in the night, a lot this time, and twas down the chimney the cry came. It was about eleven o'clock, and it sounded very eerie at that time of night. If I was here alone, I don't know what I'd do. We went out, and there twas going up across the fields. Twas the most lonesome and kind of sorrowful thing I ever heard. It went on up over the hill, and that was all we heard of it that night. The next day we heard that the Banine, as we used to call her, was after dying that night. At the very same time we heard the cry.
1: So it wouldn't just be that the Banshee would only be in the one place, but she'd move around and horses would be frightened and dogs would howl and be afraid of the forthcoming chaos that would ensue when a death occurs.
0: Yeah, and I think the important thing to remember here is in all of the accounts, where people talk about having heard or witnessed the banshee or having known people to have done so. There's a lot of detail added in them because I suppose in order to convince people that you'd heard the banshee, you would have to describe it in a way that people would be able to understand, but also add characteristics that ensure you've differentiated what you've heard from the prospect of it being a human human cry. And there are plenty of recordings available where older people describe the Banshee. We were in the County Museum in Enna Sinclair recently and there's a listening station there. We can hear one. And they're they're very, very interesting in very, very details. Uh, but in terms of the sound itself, th- there are also reports that the sound would move around and the closer you would get to the sound of the Banshee, she would move away. And the keening women, uh, who the, the living women who would keen at funerals were different because... The Keening Woman would be inside the house, but the Banshee was always on the outside. But often the sound would travel towards the house of the dead person.
1: It's very interesting uh, museum, that one in, in Ennis. It's, it's kind of funny because it has, has a strange collection of stuff. From from stuff about the Banshee to Viking artefacts to Kevin Sheedy's Everton and Ireland jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: does have Kevin
1: Sheedy's yeah, jersey. it his 1986 FA Cup final uh,
0: jersey. That's what you want yeah. in a county museum. Diversity of content, you know.
1: <laughs> Something uh, for everyone. Yeah, I enjoyed it anyway. Hmm. I enjoyed all of those things.
0: That was good. Yeah.
1: Um, in ca- in the the can- staff were very polite. They were actually lovely, yeah. Really nice, yeah. yeah. Um. In the accounts, the banshee would often appear to people close to but outside of the family uh, of the dying person like neighbors and any family that had a No or a Mac in the name was said to have been followed by her which is another reason why the Gerald's or Spoof and you know and interestingly there's a list of names of the families that were said to have been followed and we'll include the full list in the show notes
0: in Patricia Lysat's book The Banshee, she notes 180 names in total that were followed by the Banshee, or 180 names, or families, I suppose, rather. Um, And when she is connected to the land, there is a subtext here that if your family was not followed by a Banshee, that you were not entitled to lay claim to the land. And interestingly, there are reports where people will say that they have heard the Banshee but were unconcerned because the Banshee didn't follow their family. So they didn't really think that there was anything to be worried about. And all it meant was that a death was on the way, but it wasn't for the family of the person that heard it. There you go. You can console yourself with that if you hear some wailing down the road.
1: <laughs> and, and you're not an O or a Mac. <laughs> you're not
0: an O or a Mac or someone with land.
1: Yeah. I always thought that was very funny, though, like because the, the whole thing, because it follows certain names. But you're like, you know, the whole naming system is patrilineal anyway. Like and, and and it was always the women, the to adhere stuff do you know more so so I wish I, I, they were
0: the only ones listening it wasn't yeah, well, that hard I, but <laughs> I, I,
1: yeah but I I, I kind of uh, have always had doubt on that you know that whole follow certain names thing you know
0: well it depends I mean so Patricia Loisat's research is really interesting because she collated all of these interviews there was there was a questionnaire sent out by the National Folklore Commission in the 1970s and people responded on this the you know this list of names was produced but there were other things you know where it was names of families and then it was you know people who were connected to specific areas of land but then there's other there's other references where the banshee is quoted as having been in a particular area and people encounter her in the road and are all sort of there's a bit of a kerfuffle and they're like oh no leave my family alone and the banshee speaks to them directly and says oh i have no concern with the likes of you <laughs> basically <laughs> saying you know listen yeah. you're don't worry about it because you aren't really good enough stock yeah. for me to be bothering with like the the banshee in terms of from from a lot of the research that 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 i kind of looked at uh, it seemed that she was very She was very connected to nobility. Like, it really said something about your family if the banshee followed you. And maybe, I suppose, that is the kind of big mythological folklore death equivalent of, like, hoping to win the lotto if the seagull (laughs) shits on you. You're like, well, Well, you know, the banshee is is following our family and we have this harbinger of death in our family but like sure it says we're we're good we're decent people or you know we're moneyed people or whatever you know sure
1: any family that was worth their salt didn't need ban banshee to tell them somebody was going to die but half of them had the gift like half
0: of them had the gift you didn't, the other, you didn't need the a banshee other, and the other half had the consumption yeah <laughs> you know, like so anyway go on
1: Um, following that line it might not just have been people of certain surnames that she followed but also, It could have been people who were under the rule of those families or, you know, the tenants or whatever of those families. And that she's very much connected with the land rather than just the family. So there's an interesting stories quoted in um, Professor Lysette's research where she details how there was often surprise if the Banshee was said to have appeared around the death of a person who might have a lot of English blood in the family. Particularly where they did not have much sympathy for the Irish Uh, people and customs?
0: Would she have come for Marcy? (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's the question. Would Uh, she come
0: faster? No, no, I haven't known she's
1: miserable now.
0: Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) That's a good pun. Um, Yeah, families were often proud to have a banshee connected to them. And sometimes they actually wouldn't believe that a person was actually going to die unless they heard the banshee cry or wail.
1: Now, It was quite rare that the Banshee was said to have made an appearance on an occasion other than when there was a death. But there is one story where she was said to have appeared in County Clare to give a warning of a fire that was on the way. She was not specifically quoted as being a Banshee, but she had many of the characteristics of the Banshee.
0: On other occasions, she was said to appear in lonely districts to warn the people of coming troubles such as their house burning down. But there is also one particularly interesting tale of a banshee who was said to have attempted to abduct a child.
1: Stories of supernatural abductions or attempted abductions are pretty common in Irish mythology, but there's only one reference in which it was said to have been a banshee. That said, it was generally believed that one should not insult or or attempt to harm uh, supernatural beings, including the banshee, and that great harm might befall those that attempted that. And this is actually a great... Banshee story from County Roscommon.
0: Which I've insisted on putting in, but it's, and much to Mark's chagrin. Anyway, I'll read it. This story goes back to the time of the kitchen racket, the kitchen dances, as we call them. There was a dance this particular night in some village, and this bloke was living up a mountain in a lonely place. He was coming to the dance, travelling alone, and he carried a stick. On a mound or ditch beside the road, he saw a little woman and she combing her hair sitting on the ditch. He let fly with the ash plant or whatever he had and she disappeared. He didn't hit her. Anyway, he came on to the dance and he told the crowd there what happened, that he saw the banshee. When the dance was over, your man was going home the mountain path again. The next morning, he wasn't back and they found him with the ash plant buried in his head exactly in the place where he told this woman was. (laughs) What a story, you know? Uh, Love it. (laughs) Baller move from that banshee, you know?
1: (laughs) Boss. You would love that.
0: Yeah, I would. I mean, she's a banshee that Cardi B would write something about, you know? (laughs) Cardi Banshee.
1: So we kind of touched on this before that the Banshee, she spent an awful lot of time at her hair, you know, because she was worth it. And her comb is a feature of many of the stories. Combs also appear in other supernatural female stories, like those about mermaids. Uh, And the comb is said to have sometimes been seen as made of silver or gold, or actually old bone with indentations that form the teeth. Uh, women who come from the other world tend to have long hair, and this links the banshee with the other-world figures of uh, of older literature. There's a figure in German folklore called the Weißer meaning the white woman, which may be derived from the light elves of the old Germanic uh, mythology. And there's also a question about whether these were originally white women or wise women. In any event, they're described as beautiful creatures who could be seen brushing their hair and sometimes guarding treasure uh, or haunting areas.
0: So it was considered that if a man would take a comb from a banshee, he would be very lucky to make it home in one piece because she would follow him screaming. And in one version, she holds a beetle, which was a sort of paddle that would be used to wash clothes and she throws the paddle at him after he takes her comb. And to this day, the gable end of a house stands split in two as a result of the throw, the force of the throw of the paddle.
1: Hair is an important feature in many aspects of um, different mythologies, but there's one interesting figure called Dali, who is a goddess recognised in Georgian mythology from the Caucasus. Her hair was said to have been gold and gleamed like a fire, but she was often said to sit on cliffs combing her hair with a golden comb.
0: And in some tales, she was believed to have been able to bind hunters who wrong her using only her hair. In other tales, she uses it to strangle a hunter who has stolen one of her hairs to string his hunting bow. And when I was doing the the research for this, I came across an equivalent story from Mingrelia in Georgia where her equivalent agrees to marry a hunter when he threatens to cut off her hair. So she agrees, but he grows very tired of watching her sort of endlessly sitting around and combing her hair. And he takes her comb from her, so she stops. And in return... She destroys his entire family, killing one of his children and stealing another and then curses his entire line of descendants.
1: Seems like a disproportionate response.
0: Was it, though? Do you know, could he not just have left her comb her hair? Do you know, like, imagine it, like, I don't know. You don't have the full story, is what I would say.
1: For, for more disproportionate responses, people should read the story of Elisha and the she-bears from the Old Testament. Or even better, watch the YouTube video where they do a version of that. Um, I won't do any spoilers, it's a great story. The old family home and, and the land a person was from is incredibly important in the tradition of the Banshee. So where a person dies abroad, the Banshee cry might be heard in the house. People might note a sound, and then weeks later, receive a letter from America that family member member had died, and note that it would have been on the same day as the band she was heard.
0: As we mentioned earlier, she was sometimes depicted as a penitent figure, and in some occasions and and some versions of the story, it was said that she had been, it was a woman who a keening woman who had been paid to cry at a funeral. And she had to return to Earth to complete this after she died because something had interrupted her in her own work, Keenan, at this other funeral. Maybe it was that she had died on the way to Keenan at the funeral and she (laughs) never had a chance, I don't know, her penance is to kind of wail for a bit. Um, But Patricia Loisat questions whether this is in the same tradition as the kind of traditional figure as the Banshee. In any event, the focus is on death and what she means for death in a community.
1: Yeah, in in terms of the actual origin, it's hard to pinpoint. But she doesn't appear in a Christian death tradition. Christian religions don't provide much insight into her origin. Um, There's no banshee in the church. And there's nothing to connect her to saint stories. The laments of Keeling Women were about the life of the person who had died and had no Christian foundation in that they don't talk about the afterlife or God or anything like that.
0: So interestingly the church tradition of the catholic burial and rosaries and decades of the rosary and and all of that and last rites and and being anointed and so on and being laid out sat side by side with the folk tradition of the banshee nothing at all was seen as as being incongruous there so she's certainly a reminder that death is always with us The Banshee was often said to appear at boundaries of townlands or at stepping stones or stiles and places that, you know, might be dark. So in terms of the message that was given to the community about these kind of folklore tales, I would think that maybe there's something to do with non-interference with the Banshee. I mean, it was certainly considered very, very bad form and bad luck to try and interfere with a Banshee. And I wonder whether there was something in it about sort of leaving women alone at night uninterfered with (laughs) lest it turned out that the woman you tried to hinder on her way wherever she was going whether it was to wash clothes or comb her hair that it might turn out that she's you know she's just going about conducting her business but it could turn out that she's actually a banshee and any interference might result in your untimely demise you know the day is for the living and the night is for the dead and all that so and ravers indeed <laughs>
1: <laughs> um
0: banshees and raves yeah take back the night
1: <laughs> the banshee tradition continues today and some people will still report hearing her Um we'd love to hear from you and if you've heard the banshee or if somebody in your family has heard it and or what other ways do we know in advance that a death is imminent does she does she follow your family does somebody have the gift
0: are you a banshee listening to this in your yeah. spare time? What do you do when you're not wailing and combing, and your, hair. combing your hair
1: and, and doing all the laundry?
0: <laughs> like, what do you do? Do you listen to our podcast? Mm. How do you decide who to pick? <laughs> Call us, you know.
1: Um, and if you need any suggestions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, that's all we have time for today. This halfpas <laughs> punchchy episode We'll be back very, very soon. What's our next episode?
1: And um, back to the children of Turin again. I are gonna say back yeah. to the future. they are off,'re off, off, sailing around in Manon and McLear's Corrock back uh, stealing apples like we would have done when we were kids.
0: Back to the children of Turin. They're on their midterm break. Yeah. Uh we also have a new episode on Patreon second part of The Adventures of Nera. Um, Which
1: is set in Iona, yeah, and, it's a and last year's episode was the first part of that. They're set a year apart, so
0: yeah. So if you want more Irish mythology podcast content right now, check out our Patreon because for as little as three euro a month, you can get story scripts and story only audio. There's also bonus content, and you can get that for as little as five euro a month. That's at Patreon.com forward slash Irish Mythology Podcast.
1: And also, you can give us a follow on Twitter, Irish Mythology P, on Facebook, Irish Mythology Podcast, Instagram, Irish Mythology, and online Irish Mythology Podcast And we also have an Amazon wish list if if you want to contribute, but you don't want to sign up to the Patreon. And you'll find the link for that on the on the Twitter.
0: Yeah, there are tons of books that we really need for our research. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and if you are looking at it on a laptop, do the thing where you can pick priority level because annoyingly if you look at it it's kind of the ones that are actually like if you just go straight on the ones that are at the top are the ones that were picked last but sure look
0: anyway sure look every little helps as they say so if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or another platform that includes ratings and you like the show do us a favour and give us a 5 star rating it really helps us reach a wider audience and it would really 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 help us if you could share these episodes with us with us with others and look if you have a problem with someone spending too much time combing their hair just leave them to it because you don't know what terrible end will befall you if you try and interfere have a lovely 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 sound either (laughs) way see you next time on Irish mythology podcast
1: you have been listening to the Irish mythology podcast written presented and produced by Marcus O'Hishkeen and Stephanie The Theme music by Damiano Baldoni, Celtic Warrior, on an attribution license.